Hello, uh, welcome back to episode 20 of the Nesson Films. Yeah, um, not welcome back to episode 20. Welcome back to Nesson Films. This is episode 20. Um, yeah, I can't believe that I've actually stuck with this for 20 episodes because one thing about me, I will. Um, I will not, you know, if I don't, if I'm not vibing with something, I will stop it, but I am vibing with this, I guess. Um, I, I literally had like a, it was literally like Vanessa on films. It was just like a word, word, a WordPress blog about films. Um, and I think that lasted like a year, two at most. And then I just like stopped it, but that was fun. Um, but I, I mean, I think I am better at writing than I am speaking, but you know what? I had fun with it. Um, but I decided to stop it. And, uh, now you guys have, uh, this to listen to. So yeah, congrats, I guess, but congrats to me for reaching 20 episodes. There's like a ton of news. Um, so many trailers were released. I'll, I'll mention as many of them as I can, but I'll like dive deeper into, uh, some of them more than others. Um, I guess I'll start out by saying, I remember, uh, speaking about this on a previous episode, but yeah, um, I'm writing an essay about, well, I wrote the essay, it's finished, it's completed, I cited everything, etc. um, about Swallow, so this is a film. Um, it was released at, like, a festival in 2019, but it had a wider release in early 2020. Um, yeah, Sorry, I got a Creative Cloud update, of course. As I was saying, uh, Swallow, 2019 film, um, released further, I guess, uh, a wider capacity in 2020. Um, it's directed by Carlo Mirabella Davis. He also wrote the script. And um, I I didn't know necessarily that it was based on... Um, well, it, it's based on his grandmother, who um, was basically put into a psychiatric hospital um she i guess you would say that she had what i guess we would now call like ocd um yeah like she in her marriage uh she developed a lot of like rituals of control that's the way he described it and um yeah i didn't know that but as i was researching for my essay i found that out and a lot of it just i i guess the film itself started to make a little bit more sense um and I enjoyed the film. Um, I really, I really loved it. And I, 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 it was funny because I didn't, I don't necessarily know if that's a good thing, um, as a writer, if we should be doing that. Um, but either way, I'm, I, I'm glad that I decided to do it because I, I have such a large repertoire of readings regarding these types of subjects like marriage motherhood um and the control within those institutions and i i've been doing courses on them and researching that type of stuff for years and i feel like i don't necessarily have an outlet or like a place to put those all that knowledge that i have about that kind of stuff so i'm glad that through this film i could write about it um within that lens and yeah so I mentioned it a couple of episodes ago that I was, like, thinking of writing it, and it's done. And, um, yeah, so what I did for it, let me explain what I did regarding the film. Yeah, so I watched the film, and I wrote about it utilizing Claudia Card's Against Marriage and Motherhood. I believe this is an essay from 1996, and she is speaking about... I mean, she's, she's approaching it from the viewpoint of a lot of the, um, how do I say this? A lot of the marriage rights activism that was happening within the gay community during that time. And I, I really, I, I, I understand that that's like integral to the essay, but I didn't necessarily make the essay for on Swallow. I didn't necessarily make it, um, as a queer reading because I didn't I think that's a very interesting way to go about the, the the like looking at the film but I I even said in the essay like I'm not going to necessarily do that and so what I did is I utilized a lot of um what Claudia Card says about marriage and motherhood as institutions and as they operate to subjugate women I utilized that and 
uh, basically brought it into my analyzation of the film um, because it definitely does critique marriage and motherhood in a very successful way. And uh, I found a lot of similarities between the the 1996 essay by Claudio Card and, of course, Swallow. And I also wanted to add a little bit more um, just so I had more material to work with. So I did some research, quite a bit of research on non-violent coercive control. So just think of it this way. It's essentially the abuse and control that, in this specific case, women face within marriage. Um, and it's, it's, it's control and it's abuse, but it doesn't necessarily use physical violence. Um, but I mean, I think that the research that I did still states that it is, it is violent in a way, it's just not physical, and it's still utilized to, um, yeah, I guess subjugate the women in these marriages, and, um, yeah, I, I think Swallow does a really good job at that, and I wanted to write about the film from these perspectives, and, yeah, I, I think just utilizing that research and connecting it to the film was really helpful in my reading of it. Um, yeah, so what I'm basically, I'm, like, thinking, what should I say? Um, yeah, basically, like, what I'm trying to do now is I'm getting the essay and I'm trying to just, like, share it with, you know, different magazines that speak about film, uh, any journals that talk about film through, like, philosophical or, um, cultural lenses. I'm trying to just, like, submit it places and I really do hope that I can find a home for it. Uh, because I do want to share it with people, but yeah, um, this is just a way for me to talk about films in a manner that I'm familiar with, and so yeah, uh, the Swallow essay, I'm going to try to find a home for it, and I'm very excited for people to read it, and um, I'll keep you guys updated if anything happens with it. Um, hopefully something does. And uh, let's move on to, I guess, like my opening rant and question. I kind of have been ranting for seven minutes about something. Um, but yeah, I, I've i been thinking a lot about box office. Well, I, I should specifically say box office numbers. And yeah, I, I'm, I am the person that obviously understands that a movie can make a billion dollars and also have no cultural relevance. Um... I'm not naming names, but you guys know who I'm talking to. And I guess the point is that um, I, I I don't necessarily like the model that a lot of studios are taking right now regarding release of film. And I I think for my opening rant question, I literally wrote three words. I mean, I'm, I wrote after this, but I, I wrote the, the main thesis is I wrote let films breathe. And what I mean by that is we have to let films, like, grow in their theatrical release. I don't necessarily like the whole um, streaming release alongside a theatrical release because I definitely do think that hinders the potential that a film can have and how much money it can make. And again, I understand that if a movie makes $2 at the box office, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a quote-unquote bad film. Um, actually could end up having a very great significance in, yeah, within film history. But I think it also would be nice for films to make money. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 I've been thinking a lot about box office and I don't necessarily like when films aren't given the chance to grow within the box office and like within a theatrical release. I, I'm also even, like, thinking of when the films are released in theaters and then two months later they're on streaming. I don't necessarily think that is healthy as well for the films. Um, so I'm not even complaining just about when they're released in the theaters, but also on streaming. I'm also complaining about when they're released on streaming a little while after, um, just because I feel like that's training audiences to say, oh, it's going to be on streaming eventually, I'll just wait. And you're losing such a huge amount of moviegoers by doing that. I don't know. I, I think... I don't... I, yeah, like, I don't necessarily think that's, like, a smart move. But then again, like, I think we're realizing... Or 
I mean, I've always known this, but, like, a lot of people are realizing that, like, studios have no idea what the fuck they're doing. And, um, I, I, I've been thinking about it. And I, this is definitely going to connect into my next piece of, uh, news. Or, I, I guess I sort of chose it because I knew what I wanted to talk about for the rant. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I've, I've also been thinking of Oppenheimer. Um, it's doing insanely well at the box office. Like, I think it's just under a billion dollars. And, it's still in some theaters and it was released in July. And I know I know Barbie too is actually still in some theaters, but Oppenheimer I think has like a wider um yeah, it has like a larger presence within theaters still and it's crazy because it's doing so well and that's because it's not on streaming. Um, I don't even think it's on digital whereas Barbie is on digital. And the only reason I'm comparing them is because they're two really large films that have done insanely well um yeah that i think that's the only reason i'm like comparing them and uh barbie's not on streaming but it's still on it's still on digital whereas oppenheimer is on digital it's still in theaters and um i think that's one of the reasons it's doing insanely well is because they're really not giving people the opportunity to not go to the theater if that makes sense you know you're sort of forcing people to get off your ass off their ass and like um yeah like have to head to a theater in order to watch this giant of a film and i think that's one of the only reasons that yeah i feel like that's like one of the only options or that's definitely one of the main reasons i should say that people or the, the film itself is doing really really well and yeah i guess like people should just people being the studio should just really take note about how well Oppenheimer has been doing. It's actually the fourth highest grossing IMAX release of all time. Um, and yeah, I think, I think we have to, I mean, James Cameron also like said it really well. Um, James Cameron's kind of like a loser, but, um, I think he said it really well regarding like Avatar The Way of Water. That film did incredibly well. I know it's an extremely expensive film, but it still did well at the box office. Like, it made, what, like, over a billion? Uh, people went, showed up for, people, like, showed up for that film. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he said something along the lines of, like, I, I didn't want to have this be a film that was on streaming because it, it was made for the theater, right? Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I think we have to start thinking about why we're so eager to get these films onto streaming services or on digital. And I think we should allow films the opportunity to like have a really long theatrical release and then give that opportunity for a physical release, digital release, etc. But um, yeah, I I don't know. Like I I think <laughs> I think. I, I just don't understand why studios are so keen on losing money because I feel like if you pour a bunch of um, money into marketing and you give films the opportunity to like have a longer theatrical release, they're going to end up making money. I don't know. Like I, I do think audiences have been trained to like wait for streaming, but it's also like they have been trained to just accept garbage instead of actual great films. Um, so I feel like studios just really need to be giving money to good artists. Um, and I know that the, coming from me, someone who has a podcast and like hasn't done anything well artistically is really interesting. But um, I don't know. I think I'm, I think it's easier to for me to recognize good art than it is for me to make it. Uh, and as someone who has watched uh watched a couple of movies in her life. I think it's just seeing what I, I, I guess we could say general audiences have come to accept and like have watched in theaters versus what they are missing out on is actually really bleak and actually kind of hurts. Um, but anyways, let's continue on. Um, so as I was talking uh, about, you know, um, box office numbers and how we need to give give um, movies room to grow. Uh, let's get into the first piece of news.
So, uh, I think I mentioned this film two weeks ago, one week ago. I don't recall. But uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, it made $19.4 in its second week at the box office. And you're probably like, why are you talking about a second week at the box office? And the reason being is that I actually wanted to mention that it had a 76% drop. So, meaning compared to its first weekend, it the amount of money that it made was 76% lower. Um, this is the domestic box office, I should clarify. So, $19.4 million. That's still, like, a boatload of money. And it made back its budget, like, four times already. Which, like, shout out to the people who made the movie for making it on a lower budget. Which, I mean, I don't... I, I think you could probably see that it was on a lower budget. But again, like, $20 million, That's still a lot of money. Um, but anyways... Um, the reason I actually wanted to mention that is because it's also on streaming. Um, so it's on Peacock for streaming alongside the theatrical release, which again, I know a lot of people decided to opt for the streaming option instead of going to the theater. And again, you're just like taking out such a huge, you're like losing so much real estate when it comes to box office numbers by doing that. But anyways, Five Nights at Freddy's, it's still in theaters, um... But it made 19.4 million at the domestic box office second week, uh, for a 76% drop. Um, I think if you're on film Twitter, you've probably seen like the jokes about Grace Randolph starting her videos. Like, well, it looks like people did only want to spend five nights at Freddy's. But anyways, she did start it like that. Um, what a character she is. But anyways, <laughs> let's move on to some better news yeah let's call it that so i honestly thought this was already confirmed but uh variety is reporting that the bear has been renewed for season three which again i thought this was already confirmed but i'm really glad that it is official now um well at least according to variety and um for those unfamiliar with the bear it is one of the best shows on tv right now um or TV. Yeah, I don't know. But anyways, let's let's stick with that. Uh, it's starring Jeremy Allen White and Iowa Debris, two very, very talented actors, um, amongst a whole supporting cast of incredible, incredible actors. And um, yeah, uh, it got renewed for season three. It follows Carmi, played by Jeremy Allen White, who is a chef um, and he's essentially just trying to save his family's restaurant, and it kind of gives a behind-the-scenes look at, um, what it means to be a chef and, like, I guess a business owner in modern, the modern, modern era, the modern era, yeah, um, and how expensive it is and how stressful it is and trying to deal with, you know, critics and, um, trying to find the money in order to keep your business afloat when the income or I guess the money that is coming in from a business is not necessarily enough. Um, it's very stressful. You know, they got a couple of uh, special episodes in there where it's, uh, there's a couple of, uh, what are they called? Long shots? No cut. I don't know what the hell they're called. There's like no cuts or it's just like one very long, long, um, episode. You guys understand what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> I'm forgetting the name for it. Anyways, um, yeah, there's a couple of those and it does a very good job at capturing how stressful life is. So yeah, even when it's not focusing on the restaurant, it, 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 it still really, it still shows how stressful life is like regarding family and other things that don't necessarily have to do with the restaurant. And um, anyways, I'm glad that it got renewed. It is probably like, I think it's like one of the best on the, on let's say TV right now. Uh, so yeah, The Bear renewed for season three. Um, shout out to, shout out to them. Shout out to The Bear. So we go from renewal news to news about films no longer happening. So Luca Guadagnino, he is the king of... He is the king of announcing projects and then the project's not happening. Uh, I, I don't know, man. Like, I think this is inevitable nowadays because 
a lot of the times, like, studios... It's hard to get funding, let's just say that. But also, like, studios are really iffy. Like, they'll say, yeah, this this project is happening, and then they just... It doesn't happen. Um, but anyways, Luca Guadagnino, he revealed in a recent interview that his Scarface reboot is no longer happening. Or, um, yeah, it's not in development anymore. And Luca has a lot of projects that he announces and then it just never happens, as mentioned. So the Audrey Hepburn biopic starring Rooney Mara... That actually pissed me off so bad. So anyway... They announced, they're like, oh yeah, Rooney Mara cast in the Audrey Hepburn biopic and I did a backflip. And then after a couple months later, they're like, oh yeah, it's not happening anymore. Well, um, let that silence sink in because she would have been such a good actor for the role that like I literally, ah, anyways. So, um, yeah, that's no longer happening. He was also doing a Brideshead Revisited, um, film i believe i think it was a film with like andrew garfield uh who else was in it rudy mara i think kate blanchett was also in it i might just be making that up but anyways um yeah like so many good people were attached to this like project and he's like yeah it it's no longer happening but um yeah uh, he has a lot of projects that he's announced so like he's doing uh an adaptation of the shards which i think that's still going forward at hbo he was also developing a scotty bowers biopic with seth rogan and evan goldberg attached to write the script and that would have been so good that would have been so funny i love a good seth and evan screenplay um so i i i think especially with having someone like a figure like scotty bowers um yeah, I guess being, uh, I guess being portrayed or, like, developed by Luca into, you know, a film that would have been really, really, that, I don't want to say, talk about it in the past tense, but all I'm saying is that biopic is kind of up in the air. It got announced in, like, 2020, and, like, we've heard nothing about it, um, and I guess that's just how the industry works. You're gonna have projects in development for years, and then, you know, one day they just don't happen. Um, I don't know, but I don't know. I think, I think Luca needs a win. So what I'm saying is when Challengers drops next year, go opening weekend, support the fuck out of that movie. I'm so mad that it got moved, but like people are really, really, they're holding on to that. They're holding on to that Zendaya, you know, what are they holding on to? They're holding on to that Zendaya promo. That's what they need. Um, they need Zendaya to promo their film because you know her charming ass is going to get people to that theater. So, um, anyways, yeah, Luca Guadagnino is no longer developing a Scarface reboot and I think he would have been such a good director for that reboot. But, um, unfortunately, no longer happening. Um... Well, let's move on to the first trailer news, at least. I didn't do this in order. I'm looking at my notes. I'm like, why did I go for my... Anyways, I don't care. But anyways, first trailer. Um, we got a first trailer for Sean Price Williams' The Sweet East. This is a film starring Talia Ryder, Io Debri, Jeremy O'Harris, Simon Rex, and Jacob Elordi. Um, Yeah, uh, the film is about... Um, I think she's a senior in high school, Talia's character, and she kind of gets split up from her class um, during their trip to Washington, and then she kind of just goes from, like, she she just meets a lot of different characters, and it's kind of like a road trip sort of movie. Like, she goes from one group, and then, like, she gets carried on to the next, and yeah, all I'm saying is that, like, I've, the, the trailer did when i was watching this i'm like okay i don't think this trailer gets across anything um i've i saw a lot of people who've watched the film they're like this film was really really good i loved it but this trailer does not give you any information about the plot does not get the tone of the film correct at all which yeah like i don't know i'm i'm intrigued by the trailer but i also know like okay this seems off I really like Talia. 
Um, no one's saying anything. Anyways, I, I think she's a really great actress. And um, I don't know. Like, I will tune into anything she's in. And the fact that she's starring and, like, leading the film alongside... You, she's leading the film, but there's also this, like, great supporting cast that also makes me really intrigued. Like, it is actually one of my most anticipated of the year. And I don't... I think it's gonna have, like, a very limited release, like, later on this year. And then, like, early next year is gonna have, like... I'm hoping for a wider release, but I know it's gonna be in different territories by then. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess... <laughs> when I was watching the trailer, I immediately thought of that TikTok that's, like movie trailer for extremely confusing provocative and award-winning indie film um yeah i i immediately thought of that trailer and it definitely does have that vibe but <laughs> the whole like the whole like title the title cards that it's like everything will happen it's like what does that mean why isn't the trailer showing me anything about this film um but either way we got the first trailer for the sweet east i'm really really excited for it and um I don't know. I think Talia is a star. And, um, yeah, I, I think, like, everything that she's been in, she's been really great in. I actually just recently watched Dumb Money, and, um, yeah, I was, I was really, like, the whole concept of these, like, college students getting into, like, stocks and shit is really funny, and, uh, uh, I, I really loved and, like, gravitated towards, like, a couple of the storylines within the film, um, because it focuses on, like, different groups of people, um, and she's in it, and, um, Slay, um, she's really great in it, and, uh, I'm really glad that she's leading a film like The Sweet East, because I think that gives her a lot to, like, work with, and she can, like, yeah, just, like, work with this great supporting cast, and, Again, we got the first trailer for the film, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people have been making fun of it, but I think more than anything, people are just really intrigued by it, and like a lot of the people in this cast. Uh, let's move on to, to some rights, rights news. Yeah, so, uh, Neon has actually acquired the rights, or at least the North American rights, I should say, to Sean Baker's romantic dramedy. Um, it's called Anora, I believe that's how you pronounce it, and it's starring Mikey Madison, and I, it's so funny, because everyone always makes, they don't make fun of Mikey Madison, I shouldn't say that, but it's kind of like the, people love her, they just think she's a really great, captivating actor, she's been in, she's only, she's been in a couple of stuff, but like, I mean, she's been a, in a Tarantino movie, like, come on, um, and I just think it's really, really great that, um, yeah, I guess, I guess people are really fascinated by her performances. Um, people often bring up her as, like, Ghostface in the Scream film, and then her in the Tarantino movie just kind of going apeshit. Like, um, she's really good at betraying those kinds of, like, crazy characters. And those, like, also violent characters. And, um, yeah, I think people say, like, why isn't she in more? Like, is her agent doing any work? And, um, I don't know. I think for, for her age and shit, like, she's doing great. <laughs> I don't, I don't think we can, like, necessarily measure someone's success based on, like, how much they've been in or not. But, yeah, like, because, like, she's been in a Scream movie. She's been in a Tarantino movie. Like, she's doing fine. But I do think, at the end of the day, people just want to see her in more because they are fans of her and they like what they've seen from her so far. Um, so yeah, Neon has acquired the rights to Sean Baker's romantic dramedy. Um, Sean Baker has, he's worked with like a lot of great studios and I think Neon, Neon is like one of my favorite, um, studios or I less, I guess I call it a studio, but like I'm thinking of it more of like what it decides to, um, I guess like what it decides to distribute so let's think of it more of like a distribution company for the sake of this conversation uh this one-sided conversation um uh, i think like what it chooses to distribute is really 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 great um yeah i i think it has such a great chunk of films like some of the most 
culturally significant films of the last couple of years have all been distributed by Neon. Um, and I just think that's incredible. And I think they are one of the reasons why cinema is still thriving. And uh, shout out to Neon. So they got the North American rights to Sean Baker's upcoming film. Speaking of trailers, I should have put this before. I, I don't care. Anyways, we got the, 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 what? the official trailer for David Leach's upcoming film, The Fall Guy. So this is going to be in theaters next year, March 1st. Um, it is starring Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt. Um, yeah, so the film focuses on Ryan Gosling's character, who is a stuntman, and he is in a film being directed, or yeah, he's doing the stunts for a film directed by Emily Blunt's character, and the stuntman basically has to find out, or he has to essentially bring back the lead action star to the film. Um, but it turns out that he, he, he's dead. So he has to find out what happened to the lead of the action film that they are filming. And, um, I think the trailer was very poorly edited. It was really long, first of all. And I understand it's a first trailer, but it's like, they kind of showed so much. Um, it, it just like wasn't well edited. I don't think I laughed or even smiled or even chuckled during the entire runtime of the trailer. And I think someone mentioned, they're like, how can you have a trailer with, like, Emily Blunt and Ryan Gosling? And it it bores me. And this is, like, keep in mind, this is an action film with a bunch of explosions and stunts and shit going off in the trailer. And, like, people jumping off stuff. And it's just, it was, I don't want to say it was boring, but, like, according to that person, they were bored. And for me, it was more of like a, why is this trailer so long? Why is it showing me so much of the film? Like some of the highlights of the film. And um, I don't know. Like, I, again, like I haven't watched it, but from what I can see, like they are giving a lot of information about the film. And um, I'm sure there'll be a couple of twists and stuff, but I I think that a shorter trailer probably would have been would have been beneficial. The trailer also didn't have any Stephanie Shu in it, and that's what the people want. We don't want Ryan Gosling. We want Stephanie Shu. That should be the title of the episode. Um, okay, title of the episode: The people want Stephanie Shu. Boom, not boom. We won't add boom to the title, but I will say that. David Leach has directed some fairly great action films, but he's also directed some very shitty ones. For example, Deadpool 2. <laughs> Anyways, I've also I also really really liked Bullet Train, but he, he, his direction was great. It's it, I feel like it's the writing that is associated with David Leach's films that really fucking rub me the wrong way, and I know based on the trailer that The Fall Guy is going to have the exact same comedy that I fucking hate and I uh, um so anyways I just hope that it's not obnoxious because I do think that like one of the problems I had with bullet train is how obnoxious the story and like the comedy was but um yeah um let's move on to some other news hopefully I enjoy the fall guy but like from what I'm seeing in the trailer no Let's move on to, you know, an actually uh, great franchise. So, uh, the first poster and trailer for Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, which is a really shitty title. But anyways, it's in theaters next uh, May 24th, 2024. Um, yeah, we got a first trailer and a first poster for the film. This is, I guess, it's happening in like the same universe of the planet of the apes franchise that was directed by matt reeves which arguably one of the best action franchises action adventure whatever you want to call it franchises uh sci-fi french franchise of the last couple of years or at least like i don't know i've heard movie critics call it like one of the best of all time which i don't necessarily know if that's true but i do respect the character analyzation and i guess like the character development and what they did with the character of Caesar. I think that was incredible. And so, yeah, I'm pretty excited for this upcoming film just because I know how 
good the previous ones were. Again, this is a different director. So Wes Ball is actually directing this film. And uh, those unfamiliar with his work, he did the Maze Runner series. Um, so I, I can I can see him picking up a franchise like this. I should clarify that Matt Reeves only directed the last two of the Planet of the Apes um, franchise, but those were like the better received ones. Uh, they also made a boatload of money. Um, so I'm hoping that like the Planet of the Apes film directed by Wes Ball can, uh, I guess, continue the sort of like recognition and like the warm reception that these previous ones have you know i think i think he's very interested in sci-fi and he does have a good knack for it. like what whether you enjoyed the maze runner films or not um i think what he did well is developing the kind of i think he did a really good job at developing and i guess world building and that's something that really needs to happen with this new like reboot of the Planet of the Apes franchise. Um, it's considered a reboot, but I feel like there is going to be a lot of like connection to the previous films. But anyways, um, yeah, this upcoming film is going to be in theaters next May 24th. So 2024. Um, let's move on to some news about something no one asked for. Or, I lied. Let, let's not be annoying right now. Um, so Euphoria season three is going to premiere in 2025. <sighs> in my notes, I literally just wrote enough with three exclamation points after it. Because, uh, listen, listen, season one of Euphoria, as fucked up as it was, was pretty good television. Like, the story was so good. Everything was, like, tied up nicely. Everything had, everything was, like, connected the two special episodes they did with Rue and Jules were so fucking good and provided so much insight on these two characters. And then everything just came undone in season two. It was messy as hell. It tried to go bigger and it just wasn't, it, it didn't work. Yeah, I, I, all I'm saying is that like, it, it was great to look at. It was well-directed, but the writing, the story just so messy i have no words for it and like i understand this is a pretty well it's like one of the biggest shows right now you know so i understand that it's gonna get a third season but i've said this like a million times before that these actors want to move on to other things like barbie barbie left like she's like i'm not doing this show anymore um zendaya is like Zendaya could have, like, a huge movie career if she wasn't necessarily tied to Euphoria. But the thing is, she loves the show, I think. Um, she loves Rue, so I think that's gonna be, like, hard for her. Like, I don't think she would leave the show. And it's, like, Hunter Schaefer. So many people want to work with Hunter Schaefer. And she's, like, tied to this show. And, like, Sydney Sweeney, too. Like, you know, like, Sydney could have a really large film career and even, like, not even just films, but, like, television as well, but this show that takes, like, so long to film, um, they take, like, huge breaks, and I understand they're going through a loss and stuff like that, but it just, I don't know, it just, it, it would have been better if they kind of, if they kind of only had one season, and then they used those special episodes that they filmed during, like, the the earlier stages of COVID to, like, kind of wrap things up. I feel like that would have been really, really interesting. But I know they would they would never do that, um, just because it is so big of a show. But anyways, um, when did season... Season 2 premiered in early 2022, and season 3 is gonna premiere in 2025. That's, like, a crazy gap for a TV show. I don't know. But anyways, um... I hope, I hope I can let, you know, feel the same way I felt about season one because season one and season two just felt like completely different shows. And I think most people understand that. Also, one of my gripes that I have with season two is that they had a needle drop every five minutes instead of utilizing the score from season one. Ugh, anyways, 
season three, 2025, Euphoria. Um, I hope that this cast can... The, the cast have really busy schedules, so I understand that's, you know, kind of playing into playing into i guess the the reason why it's premiering 2025 but anyways um uh, i'll see you then on to some other news we got a new look at the bike riders so this is the jeff nichols film starring austin butler tom hardy and jodie comer it is based on the is it's a, it's a fiction it's a fictional story but it's based on the 1967 photo book of the same name by Danny Lyon of, you know, like a biker gang. And it is not in black and white. I think in uh, the last time I spoke about this film, I was like, oh, the black and white is going to look so beautiful. It's not in black and white. Um, those were just like promo photos that were shot in black and white. Because um, then I watched the trailer and I'm like, wait a damn minute. This is not in black and white. But anyways, um, I'm excited for it. We got like, I, I really suggest like looking up the new looks, but also, like, looking at some of the photos from the photo book, um, I should probably, you know, borrow or buy the book and, like, actually look at it, but, um, I'm just really interested in it. Uh, Jodie Comer, uh, actress of a generation, and, uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited for the film. Um, what else? Uh, oh, okay. Last, we're, we're on the last piece of news. Of course, I think it's fitting to end with, uh, news about the SAG after a strike, so, of course, they're still striking. Solidarity, solidarity, uh, solidarity, 10-hour looping clip. Um, I think it's 10 hours. Anyways, they have received what the studios claim is their last and best and final offer, which doesn't make sense because, bitch, that's not your last offer. They like, don't lie. But anyways, they're currently reviewing it to determine if it actually is the best offer that they can receive. Um, and, of course, it's they're only going to accept it if it's what they need and, uh, you know, if it's what they want and need to survive. Um, but anyways, yeah, I don't really have any updates regarding besi besides that, just because, like, the studios are so fucking stubborn that they're just, like, not willing to work with these people. Um, so, you know, um, let's hope that, you know, uh, by tomorrow when this when this episode is up i'm wrong and the strike will have ended um but as of now they're just reviewing the offer we are at the point in the episode where i am to discuss uh a film that i either hate love something i don't really care about just anything just shouting out a film a television show that we want to shout out whether it be like an element of the film or something uh, about the film or uh the film the whole film itself and i really wanted to talk about an older film today uh i, I really loved it honestly like i i feel like i have to rewatch it because i might i might even end up loving it more um but i want to talk about a film called all that heaven allows directed by douglas sirk the king of melodramas. It is a film from 1955. It's a drama romance film. And uh, yeah, let me just talk a little bit about it and get right into it. So again, directed by Douglas Sirk. It is adapted by Peg Fenwick from a story by Edna L. Lee and Harry Lee. It stars Jane Wyman and Rock Hudson. What I want to say about that, um, I I think they've worked previously on like other films before, um, together, and they're just such a good duo. I shout out to them, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the film itself just kind of follows the romance that happens between Jane's character, who is a pretty like wealthy widow, and a younger man who is played by Rock Hudson. Um, he owns a tree nursery, so I guess, like, more working class. Um, yeah, again, so he is a younger man, and it kind of, like, just follows the, the, um, the sort of, like, complications or, like, consequences that arise from this relationship. Um, I have a quote from the Wikipedia page that I actually want to read because I found it really interesting. So I guess this is talking about like the legacy or, or the reception of the film. 
And so it says, A review in Motion Picture Daily was generally positive and praised Cirque for his use of color and mise-en-scene, saying, In a print by Technicolor, the exterior shots and the interior settings are so beautifully photographed that they point up the action of the story with telling effect. I love Technicolor so much. We need to bring it back. We need to bring it back. I do not want to see another film that is shot on digital. Um, film, film, you're on, film, you're on, um, you're on thin ice with me. Um, cause I love when films are shot on film. Like, I, I, it, I'm not saying that like all films that are shot digitally look like shit, but for the most part they do. Um, films that are shot on film are gorgeous. They're, they're just so rich and so textured and they often look a lot better than those that are shot digitally do. Of course, it depends on the director, depends what you do with the film stock, etc. But I want Technicolor to come back in a big way and I know it never will because it's, first of all, it's like pretty much extinct. It's, no one's making it. It's expensive as fuck and movies are already so expensive to make. So it's like, shooting on Technicolor would like, it's never going to happen again. But it's so gorgeous. And one of the reasons I really wanted to talk about this film is how gorgeous it is. Like, yeah, like, it's just, it's so incredible. Like, there, uh, what's interesting, it, it, it kind of, like, goes, it, it utilizes a lot of, like, seasonal aspects. So, like, snow, falls, trees, etc. Obviously, because um, Rock Hudson's character, um, he owns a tree nursery. So, like, why wouldn't it? But it's interesting because those things already look beautiful but there's like such a filmic you know nature to the way they're shot here that kind of just makes them look even more beautiful and i i just respect the way that again yeah the way like cirque utilizes like setting and um blocking etc to get across how beautiful these things look um and I just think, like, the production design is incredible. And I think that, like, the richness and the texture of the color is so great. And I really... I always talk about it. And it's, like, films nowadays look so fucking flat. And I hate it so much. <laughs> like, we need to bring back texture. We need to bring back color. And I know that, like, a lot of film, a lot of older films like that were in... That were from the 50s to the 60s and like the 40s etc a lot of them weren't shot on technicolor they were just shot on film and i understand like that they kind of look similar to the way those that are shot on film nowadays look but then when you watch a film from this era that was shot on technicolor like specifically from the 50s and earlier you just know like oh that's a technicolor film and they were so gorgeous and <sighs> I don't know. All I'm saying is like, All That Heaven Allows, great film. You really need to watch it. And uh, I, we need to bring back, we need to bring back, what do we need to bring back? We need to bring back Technicolor. I know that Technicolor is like pretty much obsolete, but like, I don't care. We need to bring it back. We need to bring it back. But that's enough about All That Heaven Allows. Actually, no, I lied. Uh, you probably are a little bit more familiar with the films of Todd Haynes. He's directly influenced by Douglas Sirk. Um, a lot of his films are in reference to All That Heaven Allows. So this film, like, the the Technicolor, um, the look of the film, it just, yeah, it's, like, incredible. And it has such a long-lasting legacy within directors that do a lot of these, like, melodramas. Um, so it, a highly suggested film from me. Um, this is the almost end of the episode. Um, I'm going to do something that I never do. I often don't advertise Netflix or like streaming at for this portion of the episode because, you know, we're all about the theatrical release here. We're all about supporting theatrical releases. However, I do think that we need to support our auteurs, you know? Um, we need to support this new David Fincher film. Um, I am iffy about the lead actor and, like, supporting it for that reason, um, but it's also in theaters, um, so The Killer is streaming this weekend. It is based on the French graphic novel of the same name. It's written by Andrew Kevin Walker and, of course, directed by David Fincher.
Fincher um, admittedly has directed some of my favorite films. Um, so I am excited for this and I'm excited for him to be in his like thriller, you know, yeah, his thriller bag again, I guess we should say, because, you know, Mank, I didn't hate Mank, but it was, it was like, it was definitely, definitely like he went down a different road for that film and I respect it, but, um, I don't think a lot of people did. Um, but anyways, uh, The Killer streaming this weekend, it stars Michael Fassbender again, I understand if people don't want to support it. Like, I, I totally get it. Um, Arliss Howard, Charles Parnell, Carrie O'Malley, Sala Baker, Sophie Charlotte, and Tilda Swinton also appear in uh, supporting roles. I... How do I... I don't know. Um, I am iffy on supporting it as well, because I do want to support a new Fincher, but... You know. You know. Uh, you, yeah. Anyways... So, the film follows an assassin, the killer, um, played by Michael Fassbender, and he basically gets caught up in an international manhunt because a hit that he was supposed to do goes wrong. I'm interested in this. I've n- I'm not familiar with the graphic novel, but um, yeah, I'm interested in the premise. Again, I'm happy that Fincher is kind of in his uh, yellow piss filter thriller bag again, and um. It feels, I don't know, from what I've seen, it definitely does feel like, like a Fincher film. Yeah, like, um, uh, he has a lot of, like, when you watch Fincher films, like, you automatically know it's his. Like, there's so many types of shots that are produced in the film that you're like, okay, that's a Fincher film. And from what I've seen in the trailer, it does get that and I think a lot of people are saying that that's what they feel um when it comes to the killer um yeah it's a very very it very much does feel like he is back in his uh prime um I think a lot of people are like the only like complaints I've seen so far about it are the story um and he didn't write that so uh but anyways um yeah it's about an assassin gets caught up in like a manhunt because one of the hits that he was supposed to do kind of goes wrong um that's all i got for this episode i had fun i'm not editing this it probably sounds like shit i don't care well i'm editing the audio but not like cutting it or whatever um so anyways the people want stephanie Shu is the episode title this is episode 20 vanessa on films um like subscribe no i'm joking um you don't have to do that but um you can follow if you want um me on instagram Twitter, Letterbox, Avenes on Films, uh, subscribe, follow, I don't care. Anyways, bye.